Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. We begin our Faith and Doubt series with this question that we asked everyone in the Neatarts Friends Church family. What are some of the things that have rocked your faith the most, caused you to be feel jaded, uncertain, skeptical, or done? And so far <clears throat> in our series, we've been looking at your answers to that question from a zoomed out view. But today we're going to start zooming in a bit. And quite a few of your answers had to do with the Bible. So let me do a quick refresh and show you just some of those answers. Here they are. So what has caused you to feel jaded, uncertain, rocked your faith the most? Lingering doubts about the role of the Bible in faith. Experiencing the misuse of scripture by religious leaders and abuse of their power. Biblical contradictions. Wrestling with the Bible as a historical document from many sources with their own narratives and agendas versus the Bible as the written word of God. It's difficult to see folks who say they believe, believe different things. Perhaps perhaps much of this stems from the church filling in the blanks when issues are not directly addressed in the Bible. The Bible. When I look at the Bible as cautionary tales or lessons, I have more faith. But some of the stories are so outrageous, it's hard to believe they're true. College probably ruined my faith for many years after studying the history of religion and realizing It was based on stories translated through many different people and generations, like a game of telephone. It could be misconstrued through different perceptions as well as controlled by those in power. What are some of the things that have rocked your faith the most? When scripture is used to justify excluding people, to take from people, to hurt or harm people, part of me wants to walk away from the entire thing. It makes me feel like we've strayed too far from loving God and neighbor. Christians who break fellowship over different readings and interpretations of scripture and ethics. Might it be possible that the Holy Spirit guides different people differently? Disagreement among Christians about what constitutes true Christianity. When Christians separate from or exclude other Christians over different interpretations and views, I feel like faith has turned into a human endeavor instead of the unity Jesus prayed for. So those are some of your Bible-related answers. And I'm not really even touching all of the Bible and science questions there as I look at those responses. And there's an entire part of that initial faith and doubt survey that we really haven't even gotten into yet. Because I asked two questions about doubt, 
And the second one was this. Do you know any other reasons that your friends, relatives, or neighbors have walked away from faith? What kind of faith were they walking away from? And those answers also had to do with the Bible. So I'll just show you a few of those. So why have your friends or neighbors walked away? For some of them, it's all or nothing biblical interpretations. Division in the church cause confusion. How can this be real if there is such strong fighting about it? Judgmental religious people distorting the meaning of the Bible. Rules too strict. Too many rules. The biggest and most common reason I've seen people I know walk away from their faith is feeling let down by the church and equating that with being let down by God. They struggled with real issues and instead of the Christians around them helping them, they cast judgment and made the situations worse. The Bible beating of those around them only made matters worse and instead of seeing a hurting person who needs love and support, they see a problem that needs fixing. Now, we could probably spend an entire Sunday exploring each and every one of these questions and concerns about the Bible. Every time that someone opens the Bible, there are new questions that are generated, and each question is different. But I have tried to listen for common themes in all of these answers, and I'm hearing at least two main concerns here about the Bible, and they go like this. The first concern is that people are saying, look, I'm concerned when the Bible's used in ways that end up hurting people. And the second concern is something more like, did that really happen, or are we missing the point? Now, for today, Let's set aside the, did that really happen question? And let's focus in on this question about the Bible being used in ways that end up hurting people. The Bible, let's just start with what it is. It's not just a book. It's a library with many books. It is a diverse collection of stories and writings with numerous authors. It wasn't written all at once. It reflects the spiritual journey of diverse people from over a thousand year span of history, at least. Each writer had a different life, a different personality. They were writing for different reasons in different circumstances. There's a lot of difference going on across those a thousand years. And each piece of writing was birthed out of a interaction with God, an ancient interaction that was authentic and real in some way to that author. The Apostle Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful, 2 Timothy 3.16, and we all know what happens when God breathes into humans. You flip back to the very first page of the Bible, Genesis and within that first page, you can see what happens. Everything is good and beautiful for a short time, but then it quickly becomes distorted and off kilter. But it doesn't mean that God gives up on the collaborative effort, like God breathes once and, and everything kind of goes wonky and 
God says, okay, I guess I'm not going to treat you as my co-workers anymore. That, that's not God's heart. But the Bible reflects this, this breeding, this collaborative effort between God and humans. And so it reveals God's interactions with humans and humans' interactions with God. It shows us as much about humans as it does about God. The writers of Scripture were not trying to answer all of the questions that we are asking in our time and place. They were in their own journey, their own spiritual journey, and they were trying to answer their own questions about their situation, about their time, about their place. And that means that the Bible doesn't always answer our questions for our time and place. And transporting the ancient answers to modern questions can sometimes feel like a square peg in a round hole or worse. Because the Bible isn't just showing us answers, it's showing us what it looks like to journey with God. Time after time, the Bible doesn't show just one way to do things, one theology, one ethic, one version of the story. It shows us a collection of ways to live, a collection of theologies, a collection of ethics, multiple, often multiple versions of the story. And time after time, the Bible gives us conflicting ethical and moral guidance. And that's where people encounter the real rub. Because sometimes that conflicting ethical and moral guidance is used to hurt people. So here's an example. Slavery. What the Bible has to say about slavery. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, at that same meeting on the mountain, on the very same page of the Bible, if you're reading in your Bible, same page as the Ten Commandments, God also apparently told Moses to set the following law before the people. Anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. But they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two, since the slave is their property. Yikes. Yikes feels like an understatement. What is going on here? Why is God treating this action of beating and killing an enslaved human like we're going to give you a slap on the wrist? Uh, maybe it's some kind of a minor crime. We'll give you a fine or something if they die. Like, but you can, if they live, yeah, have at it. Beat them black and blue, knock them out. Like, hello, God, didn't you just free the enslaved people of Israel and a bunch of other ethnic groups from slavery in Egypt? Like, what are you doing? Perpetuating more slavery here. But then we jump forward in the Bible, centuries forward, the book of Galatians 3.28, and we find the Apostle Paul saying, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, what's going on here? We've got these passages, like 
Is this a case of God updating God's views on slavery? Are we seeing the way that God spoke to ancient writers who were just unable to imagine a world without slavery because this institution of slavery was so embedded in the fabric of ancient society that they couldn't see a different way? Historians tell us that, for instance, like in the 4th and 5th centuries B.C., slaves actually outnumbered free people. That's how much it was embedded in the fabric of society. So is this just kind of the way God talks to people who can't imagine anything else, gently leading them in a direction without telling them exactly where it's going? Like, why didn't God just go ahead and give Moses the right instructions from the beginning? when he was on Mount Sinai, and why make things so complicated? And what is up with later authors reinterpreting earlier authors in fresh ways? So do you see the, the conflicting ethical and moral guidance? Like, are we upending slavery altogether? Or are we justifying turning people into property and beating them with baseball bats. It's all Bible. So who gets to say which verse cancels out the other verse? And this is where some people just give up on the whole Bible thing. Like they feel like the Bible has been used to hurt too many people. They don't like it. So they give up. Is God okay with the Bible hurting people? Was Jesus okay with the Bible hurting people? Well, let's continue with that question. Go back to Mount Sinai, Moses, the Ten Commandments, Exodus 21. It's that same page of the Bible for most people, depending where the page split is on your Bible. Um, so God says to Moses, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he's to serve for six years. Then in the seventh, he is to leave as a free man without paying anything. If he arrives alone, he is to leave alone. If he arrives with a wife, his wife is to leave with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children belong to her master, and the man must leave alone. But if the slave declares, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I do not want to leave as a free man. His master is to bring him to the judges and then bring him to the door or doorpost. His master will pierce his ear with an awl and he will serve his master for life. When a man sells his daughter as a slave or concubine, she is not to leave as the male slaves do. If she is displeasing to her master who chose her for himself, then he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has acted treacherously toward her. Or if he chooses her for his son, he must deal with her according to the customary treatment of daughters. If he takes an additional wife, he must not reduce the food, clothing, or marital rights of the first wife. And if he does not do these three things for her, she may leave free of charge without any payment. So, According to the Bible, this is the original slavery law given by God on Mount Sinai. Now, you would think that the biblical authors to come after this wouldn't argue 
with Moses or with God for that matter. You would think there really wasn't much wiggle room for anyone to come along and edit the original law. And I'm not even talking to you about how much, how upsetting uh, what I just read you is. But you would think, well, if this came from Mount Sinai, when God gave the Ten Commandments, like, that's set in stone, right? Well, that's not how the biblical writers treat this. Along comes the writer of Deuteronomy, who's writing for people in a new time, in a new place, with new human needs and new concerns. And this biblical author considered those human needs and wrote a fresh interpretation of God's divine law given on Mount Sinai. So I've got them side by side for you. Notice how the original Mount Sinai law was changed by the writer of Deuteronomy. That writer says, if your fellow Hebrew, a man or woman, so already we've got a change, if they are sold to you and they serve you six years, you must set him free in the seventh year. When you set him free, do not send him away empty-handed. Notice back in Exodus, send them without paying anything. This writer says, give generously to him from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. You are to give him whatever the Lord your God has blessed you with. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I am giving you this command today. Exodus doesn't give any reasons that you're letting slaves go. Continuing, but if your slave says to you, I don't want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, take an awl and pierce through his ear into the door and he will become your slave for life. Also, treat your female slave the same way as the male slaves. Do not regard it as a hardship when you set him free because he worked for you six years worth twice the wages of a hired worker. And then the Lord, your God will bless you in everything you do. Wow. The author of Deuteronomy apparently did not feel like they were violating God's law with these edits, adaptations, this fresh interpretation. They thought God probably wanted the female slaves to be set free as well. They really couldn't see God wanting families to be separated, enslaved mothers and children just left behind, vulnerable to the whims and fancies of slave owners who could do whatever they want with their property. And what good was it to set a slave free in the world if they didn't have any way to stand on their own two feet? So why not give the owner... Why not tell the owner to give every freed slave a generous starter kit so that they could establish a new life for themselves? And of course, the author anticipated that slave owners might be kind of angry, kind of bitter about this. See, this is a major loss. So the author of Deuteronomy not only gave this fresh interpretation, but they also told people why they were giving a fresh interpretation. 
uh, God has rescued you and your ancestors from slavery. They specifically told owners to appreciate the six years of work the slaves had put in and to celebrate that God had freed their ancestors from slavery. Like the author's basically saying, guys, this is an opportunity to be a part of what God is actually doing in the world. Deuteronomy is written at a later time than Exodus for people who are in a different place, facing different challenges with different needs. And apparently the author of Deuteronomy really didn't see a problem with giving all the female slaves the same decision. You can stay or go. Same decision that had been given to male slaves for generations prior. It's astonishing, straight from Mount Sinai, God gave a prohibition. Like, aren't we supposed to take it seriously when God says, thou shalt not? From Mount Sinai, God says, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, a concubine, uh, she is not to leave, as the male slaves do. And the, the writer of Deuteronomy, rather than blindly apply God's law, went directly against what God said to Moses and actually flipped it upside down. Now, actually, we're going to do the opposite of that. Treat your female slaves the same way as the male slaves, like, i.e., let them leave if they want to leave. Generously give them that starter kit from your flocks, your threshing floor, your wine press. The author of Deuteronomy reimagined the divine law given on Mount Sinai for a new time and place and really didn't feel uncomfortable reinterpreting what God had said to Moses. More than looking at the, these are the rules, they were looking at the, they weren't looking at the what, but the why. What was God's original intent? What was God going for here? God's commands are always given looking towards justice and righteousness and peace. And wow, the writers of the Bible seem like they have something to teach us about reading and interpreting the Bible. The author of Deuteronomy doesn't just throw the baby out with the bathwater but they did focus in on the real human need in the situation. They focused in on justice and righteousness and peace. And Jesus wasn't afraid to do the same thing that the author of Deuteronomy did. Jesus didn't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but Jesus wasn't okay with the Bible hurting people. And so we find Jesus providing fresh interpretations of God's law and the reason's always the same. Jesus is also looking towards righteousness, justice, and peace, paying attention to what people need right now in this time, in this place. So here's a great example. It comes from Matthew 12. Jesus' disciples became hungry on the Sabbath, and they began picking heads of grain from the field and eating them, which was considered work on the Sabbath, a violation of the rules. And the Bible experts of the said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. Like, they're breaking the rules. And they weren't only breaking the fourth of the Ten Commandments, keep the Sabbath holy, like, i.e., don't work. They were violating God's original design for humanity to rest. Like, this whole commandment, 
goes back to the very beginning of time, the very beginning of history. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. This, this commandment comes from before the fall. Like, come on, Jesus. Surely you wouldn't allow your followers to violate a part of God's law that goes back to original creation order and original design for humans. It seemed like the Pharisees had Jesus beat. I mean, who can counter an argument that goes all the way back to the way God created the world before humans messed everything up with sin? Well, Jesus responded to the Pharisees, the Bible experts, and said, uh, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. The Pharisees were looking at the what? They were looking at the rules. Like, these guys are working on the Sabbath, and that's flat out wrong which there are always people who read the Bible that way. They can find someone else breaking the rules. Jesus tried to draw the Bible experts' attention to the why. Well, wait a minute. Are you noticing the human need going on with these people? Like David and his companions were hungry, and that was their reason for violating the law. My disciples are hungry. Jesus showed them what it looks like to pay attention to the needs of humans, healing a man with a shriveled hand, uh, even the emergent needs of animals, rescuing a sheep that falls into a pit. And in Mark's version of the story, Mark chapter 2, Jesus concludes this whole conversation by saying, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So are you catching what Jesus was telling these Bible experts by reinterpreting the Sabbath law in a fresh way? They were accustomed to rigidly applying God's law without exception, ironclad, no wiggle room kind of way. And Jesus is showing them that something more is actually needed in the interpretive process. 
guys, you got to pay attention to the needs of humans. God's law wasn't given to keep a capricious God happy, even though nobody's quite sure why we have to do it the way that we have to do it. No. Jesus said humans weren't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for humans. So he's trying to tell the Bible experts of his day that God's laws are given on behalf of humans and a crucial part of right interpretation and application of God's laws is considered is considering the real needs of real people right here, right now. In Matthew 23, Jesus went on to rake the Bible experts of his day over the coals because they were still focused on the what and blindly applying God's laws and ignoring the why, the human need, as they interpreted and applied scripture. And so Jesus says, Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Jesus wasn't interested in throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but the Bible as Jesus knew it, the law and the prophets, could all be summed up in two commands, love for God and love for neighbor. Jesus was not afraid to take human need into consideration and give people a fresh interpretation. Six different times in the Sermon on the Mount, we find Jesus saying, You've heard it said to the people long ago, this, but I say to you this, and giving a fresh interpretation. And every time he says that, he's bringing the needs of real people in his time and his place to bear on an old interpretation of divine law. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 13. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So, does this answer every Bible question we have? Not even close. But perhaps it helps with that question. Is God okay with the Bible hurting people? Was Jesus okay with the Bible hurting people? So I want to close by inviting you to do a prayer exercise. I want to invite you to close your eyes. Of course, if you're driving or something, don't. But close your eyes. Slow down. And name to God a way that you have experienced the Bible being used to hurt people. Maybe you, maybe others. When have you seen the Bible used to hurt people? So take a moment and name one of those times to God. Now, 
Name to God your understanding of the human need within that hurt. The human need in that situation in as down-to-earth a way as you possibly can. So Jesus just said, look, they're hungry. So what is the basic human need that you see in that situation? Name that need to God. Let yourself sit with that expression and just listen. I can't promise that God will say anything back, but you express this part of it to God and simply listen for a moment. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.